0: Hello, everybody. So I just want to remind you as we begin today that this is our second service. Just saying, in case you forgot to turn your clock ahead and you think, today I'm going to the first service. You're at the second service, so I'm just, you know, reminding everybody of that. But we're glad you're here, whether you think it's the first service or the second service, or if you're joining us online and you're in your pajamas, we're glad that you're with us today. Now, if you're new with us, we are in part two of a series called Encounter Jesus. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at five different encounters that people had with Jesus in the scriptures that radically changed their lives. Just like our intro video showed there, back in Jesus' day, there were thousands, if not millions, of people who interacted with Jesus, but only a few of them ever really encountered him and were radically changed by that encounter. So again, that's what we're trying to learn in this series, is how can we encounter Jesus? And how can our lives be radically transformed as we watch other people in Scripture encounter Jesus as well. So last week, we talked about encountering healing. And we prayed for those of you who might need healing, physical healing, um, mental healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. And I pray that you encountered healing of some sort this past week. And I just want to remind you, like we talked about last week, that sometimes God will leverage a physical illness to do a deeper healing in our lives. So sometimes there's this physical thing that we're begging God to, to heal us from. And there's moments that He says, time out on that um, because there's a deeper thing I want to do. And the physical issue helps Him reach deeper in who we are. Now, does God want to heal us physically as well? I think He does but there's a deeper healing I think that God wants to provide for all of us. And I pray that you've experienced or are experiencing or will experience the healing that God wants to bring to our lives. Now, today we are going to explore an encounter that all of us need. If you're a Christ follower, our faith is built on this thing that we're gonna look at today and you need to be reminded of that. If you aren't a Christ follower yet, uh, what we're going to learn today just might radically change everything you think you know about what it means to be in a relationship with God or, or who you think God is really like and what he expects of his followers. And so we're going to learn something today, again, that just might shift your perspective a little bit about what it means to be in a relationship with God. So if you want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app will be in John chapter 8. And uh, if you're new to the Bible and new to reading the Bible, there are several ways that you can read the Bible. The first way is you can read as an outside observer. And often that's how we read scripture. So we read it as an outside observer, we're, we're learning about information, oh that's interesting information and it's great information, we got to figure out how to apply it to our lives. Another way to read the Bible is as a participant. So kind of put yourself in the story. Like, like, what would I be thinking? What would I be feeling if I were the main character of this story? And often, as we read it in that context, we can experience scripture in a different way. So we're going to try to do that today. I'm going to make all of us a participant in the story that we're going to learn. And hopefully, we'll be able to encounter the thing that we're going to encounter today in a whole new way. So are you ready to participate today? awesome. At least the front half is, and this side is really ready. Um, So hopefully all of you are ready. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is to imagine that you are living in a first century Jewish culture, okay? And for those of you who are thinking, well, I don't know what a first century Jewish culture is all about, I will help you understand that as we walk along. So imagine you're living in the first century, you're living in a Jewish culture, and you have a secret. Anybody have secrets beside me? Okay. The rest of you are lying. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, because we all have some secret that we hold on to. But imagine that your secret is such a big deal, it's considered a sin. And in your culture, it brings with it the death penalty if you're caught doing it. Imagine there's a law against your secret sin. So imagine that. Okay. So it's, it's a really big deal, and you would think that uh, having big consequences like that would keep anybody away from that secret sin, but we all know what it's like to struggle with temptation, and there are moments we give in to temptation, even though we know there's consequences that come with temptation and consequences that come with our choices, sometimes That battle is fierce, and there's moments that we give in. So imagine you have given in again, but this time your worst fears have happened because you've been caught. You've been caught. The authorities have caught you in the act of your secret sin. And then they drag you to the last place that you would ever want to go, and that is to church, They drag you to church. Imagine it's in this context. They drag you to church. They bring you up in front of everybody in your community. Your whole community's there at church, and they drag you there to your judge, and they demand that you be killed because of what you've just been caught doing. Everybody with me? Okay. Aren't you glad you set your clock correctly and came to church or (laughs) tuned in online so you could feel this really weird, awkward story? So that's the situation this woman found herself in in John chapter eight. John chapter eight, verse one says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple and a crowd soon gathered and sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd teacher, they said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, anybody wondering where the other person is that was caught in the act of adultery? Anybody wondering where that person is? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and this is actually uh, religious hypocrisy at its worst. Verse six tells us well, why these religious leaders were doing what they were doing. It says they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. So the reality is they don't really care about this woman. I mean, she broke the law, but they're leveraging it in this moment. This is their opportunity to get Jesus. She's just a pawn. She doesn't realize that, but she's just a pawn. And again, they're not all that concerned with her. They're after Jesus. The reality is there was an Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It said, if a man and a woman are caught in adultery, they both should be stoned. For us today, we're like, what? Are you kidding me? That's craziness. That was the law that they lived by in that culture back then. So again, this woman has been caught. And these religious leaders think, we've got Jesus in a tight spot no matter how he answers, we've got him. If he says that she should not be stoned, then he is violating the law of Moses that we live by and we'll get him in trouble. If he says she should be stoned, he's violating Roman law. And Roman law says that only the Romans could sentence somebody to death. And the Jews lived under Roman oppression at that time. So they're thinking, we have him caught. No matter what he says, he's going to be in trouble. So as everybody's waiting for Jesus to render his verdict, he does the strangest thing. Verse 6 continues and says, they were trying to to trap Jesus Jesus into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. So imagine if you're this woman, okay? You're standing in front of your community. You're on trial. Your life is on the line. And Jesus is doodling in the dirt. Like, like, what are you thinking in that moment? What are you feeling? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, this is craziness. And I wonder if her accusers, are thinking in their mind more than just, hey, we have Jesus trapped, but I wonder if this is almost a little bit of a test for them because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So I wonder if they're thinking like, if you're really the Son of God, show us how serious you are about us obeying God's commandments. This is your opportunity to show us how serious you are and sentence this woman to death. Make an example out of her. That's what many people think God is like. Many people think that God just can't wait for us to mess up so he can launch a lightning bolt from heaven and punish us because he's a vengeful God. But that's not the kind of God that we serve. That's not the kind of God who wants to encounter us deeply. So watch what Jesus does. In verse seven, it says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Why was Jesus writing in the dust? What was he writing? We're not really sure. Um, Bible scholars have different opinions about what was happening in this moment. Some Bible scholars believe that Jesus was writing the sins of this woman's accusers in the dust. Imagine if that was happening. Imagine if this was like a classroom environment and there was a chalkboard behind Jesus and the accusers come in and they're demanding this woman be executed and Jesus pulls out the the chalk and starts writing their sins across the board. Can you imagine how awkward of a moment that might have been? There are other Bible scholars that believe that Jesus actually stooped down to write in the dust to divert everyone's attention off of this woman and put it on himself because she was standing there naked. The religious leaders wanted to shame her. They wanted to make it such a big deal. They didn't even give her the benefit of clothing herself before they drug her to court. They brought her there naked. So some people think that Jesus stooped down to just divert everybody's attention off of her and onto himself. We aren't really sure why Jesus wrote in the the dust or what he wrote but it must have been powerful because verse nine says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Like, Can you imagine how powerful of an encounter that was for this woman and for everyone gathered around So there's this large crowd gathered around. There's Jesus, and then there's this woman, and her accusers have just left. Verse 10 says, then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So. When many people expect that God would, in moments like this, unleash his righteous anger and punishment on this woman for her sin, she encounters forgiveness. Reality is we all need forgiveness. Anybody besides me recognize that you need forgiveness? Like We all desperately need forgiveness because we've all sinned in big ways or small ways, and all sin hurts us in our relationship with God. And the amazing thing about God is he wants to forgive us. He wants to forgive us. So God isn't up in heaven with his arms crossed saying, sucks to be you when you mess up. You're going to have to figure out how to make it right. He's not saying that. Again, he's not sitting up there waiting. I can't wait for them to screw up again so I can make their lives miserable. God doesn't operate that way. God isn't mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. And he's not sitting up there waiting to punish you. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. That's one of the things that Christianity is built on. God's amazing forgiveness. I'm so grateful that Christianity is not built on us living perfect lives. Because I couldn't do it. And guess what? Neither could you. Sorry to make you a little sad this morning. But none of us could do it. We all desperately need God's forgiveness, his amazing grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Now, sometimes people wonder if, if there's situations like this where, where we mess up and God provides us forgiveness, does that mean that we can live any way we want as Christ followers? Is that what that means? So it doesn't mean that. But let me answer it this way. Do you think that this woman, after this amazing encounter with forgiveness, do you think that she ran out from that church service and ran right back into her sin? Do you think she did that? No, No, I don't think she did. Was she perfect after that? No. Could she have struggled with that same sin in the future? Yes. But I do not think she rushed right back out into her old, familiar sin. So no, we can't just live any way we want because of God's forgiveness. We can't do that. Now, sometimes people ask this question, but what if I sin again and again and again? Like, what if I'm like stuck in this familiar thing and like I have to come back to God again for forgiveness? Like, will God forgive me again? Or am I going to wear out God's forgiveness? Is there going to be a day where God says, sorry, the last time I forgave you was the last time I will forgive you? Like, that's enough. You've crossed the line. Will we ever reach that spot? I'm so grateful the answer is no. God will always forgive us. He is an incredibly forgiving God. And here's what he knows about us. He knows that we will always have a struggle with sin. As we grow in our relationship with God, we should struggle less with sin, but we will always struggle with sin. So listen to what the Apostle Paul Said about his struggle with sin. If you're not familiar with Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament part of the Bible. And outside of Jesus, I think was one of the primary Christ followers who radically changed the world. And so listen to what he says about his struggle with sin. In Romans 7, verse 21, he says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. And then in verse 25, he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So even Paul said, listen, like I want to obey God's law always. But sometimes I don't. Sometimes the, th- the very thing I don't want to do is the thing that I do. And when I, I want to do the right thing, sometimes I don't even do that. So even Paul struggled with sin. So we all are going to struggle with sin. But I got to tell you, there's a difference between struggling with sin and embracing sin. A struggle with sin is when we sin, we sin again, we mess up, we run to our Heavenly Father and say, Father, like, I have messed up again. Will you forgive me? God extends his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We apply that to our lives, and we go after struggling with sin, fighting against that thing again, and learning how to live in response to God's grace. That's what struggling with sin looks like. Embracing sin looks different. Embracing sin is when someone says, listen, I don't care what God thinks. Scripture says he'll forgive me, so I'm going to live any way I want. And if I've got to apologize to God, I'll just apologize and I'll just count on his forgiveness. And I'm just going to embrace this lifestyle. I'm going to embrace this sin. I'm just going to do what I want to do. That is skating on thin ice. That is not how we should interact with God's forgiveness. Again, there's a big difference between struggling with sin and embracing sin. Now, in this encounter with this woman, Jesus asked this very powerful question in John chapter 8, verse 10. He asked this He says, Where are your accusers? He says, Where are your accusers? Like, didn't anyone condemn you? I don't condemn you. They didn't? I don't either. Where are your accusers? And I wonder how you would answer that same question today. Where are your accusers? The reality is we all have accusers. Uh, We all have people around us who want to remind us of our sin. We have people around us who want to keep us stuck in our sin. They don't want us to to gain freedom from our sin because maybe they're stuck and they want to keep us stuck with them. Or they sit in a position of being judgmental over us. And they never want us to forget that time we messed up. So I wonder, where are your accusers? Are they family members who uh, know too much about you? Are they people who would say, you know what? I think they're just so disappointed in me because I just can't seem to quite get this whole Christian thing right. Like, where are your accusers? I don't know who yours are or where they live, but mine live with me right here. They're portable. They go with me almost everywhere I go. I am my own worst accuser. I think I accuse myself more than anybody else. And I don't know if this will be shocking to you or not, but I hear myself tell myself more days than not that I'm a failure, that I've failed God on too many occasions for God to ever use me significantly. I hear that often. That's one of the fights that I engage with the enemy on a regular basis, hearing, him whisper to me, Trent, you're a failure. You remember what you did last week, Trent? You remember how you handled that situation with your wife and you kind of blew it? You remember that time you sat in the truck because you were so angry at her and you didn't want to resolve that conflict and God said, go resolve that conflict. And you sat there like a big baby because you got the the spiritual gift of pouting. Like, you remember that? (laughs) Like, you remember that, Trent? Remember what you did 25 years ago? Remember that? I'll never forget it. God will never forget it. You should never forget it. I hear myself say those things and I hear our, our great enemy, the accuser of all of us, a real being called Satan, telling me that kind of stuff daily. I don't know what you believe about Satan. Scripture teaches that he's real. And Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, every day he accuses us before God the Father. So every day, Satan goes into to God's throne room and says, hey, you know those people who say they love you? Did you see what they did last night? Did you see how they behaved this morning on their way into church when they realized they forgot to set their clocks? Like, did you see how they behaved? They got so angry with each other. Did you see that? Did you see what they did last month, last year, 25 years ago? Do you remember that? You should condemn them to hell for that. That's what Satan does every day. He demands that we be condemned to hell. The crazy thing about many of his accusations is he's right. I have done many of the things that he he says, and I do many of the things that he accuses me of. I give him often enough ammunition to use against me when I mess up. But 2,000 years ago, God did the strangest thing. He stooped down from heaven. And he began writing in the dust. What was he writing? I don't know, was he writing the sins of our accuser? Not sure. But 2,000 years ago, he took all the attention off of us. And he put it on himself when he took our sin onto himself. Every sin that we have ever committed, every sin that we will ever commit, he took it onto himself as if he had committed each and every one of those sins. He did that for this woman in John chapter 8 as if he had committed that sin of adultery. He took it on himself. And then he paid for those sins with his perfect life. He went through the horrors of crucifixion to pay for that sin so that we could be eternally forgiven. There's this amazing part of this story that's, that's not really there, but you got to have to read into the, to the story to kind of get this. But Jesus had every right in John chapter 8 to sentence this woman to death. I mean, that was Old Testament law. Nobody would uh judged him in that moment for that. He had every right to do that. But it's as if he was saying to her accusers and our accuser, Satan, listen, guys listen, Satan, she's not going to die today. Has she messed up? Yeah, she has. She's not going to die today. You know what? I'm going to die in her place in just a few years. I'm going to take this sin that you are bringing to me today. I'm going to take it onto myself and I'm going to die so she can live. Like that is such a powerful thing to pull out of the story, to understand what God's true forgiveness means for us. When we encounter that kind of forgiveness, it should radically change how we live and how we interact with God and how we interact with ourselves. Because Jesus died in our place, Romans 8, 1 says this. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, guess what? There's no condemnation for you. It doesn't matter what you did 25 years ago. It doesn't matter what you did last month. It doesn't matter what you did last night. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. So let me ask you, does that mean, does this verse mean, hey, we got a license to sin. Let's run out and live any way we want. Is that what that means? Thank you for saying no, at least the front half. It applies to all of us. The answer is no. We should never abuse God's grace and forgiveness. But God knows that we're going to struggle with sin. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is one powerful promise to hold on to every time you mess up. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So what do we do with that sin that we stumble into, that sin that we choose to step into again, that we don't want to, but we find ourselves wrestling with again? What do we do with that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. That so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So how do we strip off the the weight of sin that slows us down? Verse 2 tells us. It says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I'm so grateful for Jesus and that he is the champion. Why is he the champion? Because he defeated the curse of sin and death that we brought into the world with his perfect life. I'm so glad that verse doesn't say, hey, try to be your own champion. Do your best to live the life that Jesus lived. I'm so glad it doesn't say that because none of us could do it. We can't. We can't be our own champion. But Jesus can. He can be the champion who initiates and perfects our faith as we keep our eyes on him and what he did on the cross for us. So if we are counting on what we have done for Jesus to have an eternal relationship with him, we are out. That always falls short. But if we're counting on what Jesus has done for us for us to have an eternal relationship with him, we are in and will be in for all of eternity. So according to this verse, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so I ask, do you belong to him? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to forgive your sins? If you've never done that before, here's how you can do that. Listen to what 1 John 1, 1.9 says. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, meaning God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So when we come to him and confess, say, God, I've blown it. I've messed up. Again, he doesn't launch a lightning bolt from heaven because he's so eager to punish us. No, it says he's forgiving He forgives us of all of our sin and cleanses us from all wickedness. This verse applies whether we're coming to God for the very first time in our lives because we've never put our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, or if we're coming back to him the thousandth time we've messed up and we say, here I am again, Lord. I'm sorry again. I need your forgiveness again. Because I've messed up. I'm so glad this verse doesn't say, hey, apply this 10 times in your life and and it'll work. But the 11th time, you're out of luck. It doesn't work. This verse is applicable every time we sincerely use it. Every time we come to God with sincere regret in our hearts and say, God, forgive me again. God pours out his grace, his mercy and forgiveness again on us. So if you've never asked God for forgiveness in your life by putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to show you how you can do that. And I'm going to show you a simple way that you can do it. It's something that I call the ABC prayer of salvation. So let me walk through this with you real quick. So the ABC prayer of salvation stands for this. Number one, you have to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. We've all sinned, either big sins or small sins, and every sin separates us from the God who loves us. So we have to come and admit, "Hey, I'm a sinner. I've messed up, and I need a savior." And then we have to believe that Jesus is that savior. It's him. It's based upon what he has done on the cross for us. So we have to believe that Jesus is that savior who died to pay for our sins, and then we have to confess, we have to confess our sins to God, and ask him to come into our lives as our Lord and Savior. If you sincerely have this conversation with God, whether you you use these exact words or not, God responds. He will forgive you of your sins. He will welcome you into his eternal family and you will experience his eternal forgiveness. Now, let me tell you something about this. If you think this is the secret code These are the magic words that all you have to do is pray these words every day of your life and God will welcome you into heaven because some bald pastor told you to pray the ABC prayer of salvation. Let me tell you, that's not how it works. You stand before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? You said, well, I prayed this prayer every day of my life and I I, I thought it was the right words. That's not how this works. When you sincerely believe that you're a sinner, you admit that, you believe that Jesus is your savior and you ask him to be your Lord and savior, then this conversation will change your life forever. That's how we gain entrance into God's family. That's how we receive God's forgiveness that can last forever. If you've never had this conversation with God before, I pray that you'll do that today. Nothing would make God happier. He would love to pour out his forgiveness, his eternal forgiveness on you today. If you're a Christ follower, maybe you need forgiveness again. Maybe you've stumbled into a familiar sin again. And, and maybe you, you're in this spot where I often get, where when I mess up, there are times I just feel like, you know what, like I'm not even worthy to be in God's presence. And so I feel like I've got to go away. And I, I've got to live rightly for a certain amount of time. And how much is that time? I don't know. But it's when I start feeling like, OK, I, I've had enough good behavior in my past over the past week or month or whatever it is. Then I can come back into God's presence and say, God, I kind of messed up. Up like a week ago or a month ago, will you forgive me? Sometimes we get caught in that cycle and that's a cycle that Satan loves us in. But what does God want us to do? He wants us to run to him quickly. The moment we mess up, he wants us to run to him right away and admit it. And guess what? It's not a shocker to him. He's not going, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that again. He's going, yeah, I know. I know you did that. I need you to admit it to yourself and to me, that's when real forgiveness can work in your life. That's when you can continue the journey of your struggle and fight against sin. That's where you can take another step towards applying this forgiveness to your life and becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. So if you're a Christ follower follower, and if you've sinned lately and you feel so guilty about that, run to your heavenly father. Ask him for his forgiveness. He will forgive you again. Now, some of you might need forgiveness and you don't even realize it. Maybe you're a Christ follower and you've been carrying a stone around. Like maybe you've thought that you're the accuser of everybody around you who's living the wrong life. Like maybe you see other Christ followers, and they're living a way that they shouldn't live, and you're sitting in judgment over them, ready to throw your stone of judgment at them. Or you're judging our non-believing world for not living by God's standards. And so you're carrying that rock, and you're ready to launch it at them as well. If that's you, don't be an accuser. Experience God's forgiveness. Put your rock down. Recognize you need forgiveness as well. And allow God to forgive you. And learn how to live in response to that amazing forgiveness that he provides. In just a minute, our worship team is gonna close with a song called Run to the Father. And I encourage you to run to the Father in any way that you need to today. If you need to have a conversation with someone in person about this, about this topic, about any forgiveness issues that you're wrestling with, stop by our care table before you leave. We have some amazing people out there who would love to talk with you, pray with you, and help you any way that we can. I'll be in the lobby as well. I would love to have a conversation with you as well and pray with you and help you any way that I can. If you're watching online and you want to have a conversation with somebody, just email us at care at theepicchurch.com, and we'd love to engage that with you as well. So if you would, let's bow our heads together. Let's pray. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's encounter forgiveness as well. As we begin praying, I'm just curious if there's anybody here on campus or maybe watching online, willing to say, you know what? I'm a Christ follower, but I need forgiveness again. I've messed up again. Anybody willing to raise your hand and say that? Acknowledge that. I see hands all over. Thank you for that. And maybe you're watching online, and you're raising your hand there. So Lord, I'm thankful for these people, willing to admit that they've messed up again. Lord, the reality is we mess up. You know that about us. and. You don't condemn us for that. You want us to admit those things and run to you quickly every time we mess up. And not to, to cheapen your grace or your forgiveness, but to be honest about our lives and to stay in a close relationship with you. So what I pray for these people right now, I pray that even now while I'm praying and then while we're singing, Lord, that they would do business with you They would have a conversation with you. They would apply 1 John 1, 9. They'd come and say, Lord, i got to confess my sin to you. Lord, I'm grateful that that verse says, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from the things that we've messed up with. Thank you for that promise. There also might be some other people here on campus or, again, possibly online, willing to say, I've never... Ask Jesus in my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I've never experienced his eternal forgiveness. And for the first time in my life, I recognize what he has done for me, and I want that. I want that. If that's you, again, let me remind you to have a conversation with God following the ABC prayer of salvation. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus is that Savior. And ask him to come into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. If you have that conversation today, he will respond. He'll step into your life. You'll encounter eternal forgiveness and you'll be a part of his eternal family. And so I'm just curious, anybody on campus willing to say, you know what, that's the prayer I need to pray today? If so, would you hold your hand up high for just a second so I can acknowledge that? I see several hands. Thank you for that. I see another hand. Thank you for that. Lord, I'm so grateful for these people and their courage to say, I need you. Lord, this is the thing that you've been waiting for for all of their lives, for them to say, I've messed up. I need forgiveness. And Lord, you've heard them. You're hearing them right now. You're responding and you're stepping into their lives to be their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would grow them in this new relationship that they have with you. Lord, thank you for being a forgiving God. Thank you for being a God that we can run to when we mess up. Lord, we wanna do that today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.